This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. I'm RJ. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order to release. This week, we're having more visions of the apocalypse than usual as we watch Spine 142 in the Criterion Collection, Peter Weir's The Last Wave from 1977. But first, mm. RJ, how's what? it going? Oh, you know. Cool. I'm kind of tired, Jarrett. Me too. I'm kind of tired. I got the dr- kind of like brought along to a movie last night and I didn't get home until like quarter after 12 and then I didn't get to sleep until like one and then I was up at six to to go do my stuff and I was like man I'm tired being be, doing work is tiring you ever heard one of those <laughs> I don't want to say that adulting stuff because uh, I think we're uh, I think no one who listens to the show wants uh, wants in on that nope I'm going to speak for them all. Nope. Friend of the show, Ryan Nagel, one time sent me a shirt, uh, and it said, can't adult today, and it had Deadpool on it, doing, like, with his pants down or something. And, uh, (laughs) I mean, that summarizes a whole generation, doesn't it? Yep. Going to get my weed in Canada because it's legal and just fucking doing nothing, but then complaining about how nobody wants to hire me. No one will hire me, but also I don't want a job. Well, we should we should all share. And the jobs that keep calling me back, they don't want to pay me what I'm worth, you know? <laughs> and then... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, or just like whatever the sounds vape pens make. Vape pens? Hmm. Well, there's someone we do know who's emailed about the show, or written reviews about the show before, who could probably let us know uh, what that sound is like. Yeah. I'm still reeling from that news. Actually, you know what? I'm doing good, Jarrett. Yeah. I'm doing good. Yeah. Because that that loser chud that has been casting this negative shadow on the podcast for years. It's it's done. Yeah. I'm I'm we are finally vindicated. I know that we were in the right. And uh I feel good. I'm 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 really happy that it was brought to our attention. But you know, oh. I was tired, but fuck it. That dude smokes a vape pen. I feel good. Let's do it. Let's let's yeah. talk for like five hours. You want to do a ghoul school? Yeah, we'll we'll have all those movies to talk about. For ghoul school? Yeah. I could talk about my uh, one movie for about four hours if you wanted yeah. me to. And I could talk about the thing I watched. Anyway, Did you only watch one movie? Well, it was like watching five movies. Oh. I don't know what you watched. I'm not going to look it up. I'm oh, just going to wait fine. until you tell me. I fine. Good. Uh, yeah, my week's been great, RJ. Um, I hey, got, Jared. I got all my how, bo- how was your week? Good. I got all my okay. bookshelves now. All my oh. all my movies and books are out of boxes. Um, so that's amazing. I can actually lean over. The, let me have a look. Well, if you didn't work all the time, maybe you would be uh, allowed to come over. But you're a busy boy going to oh. shitty movies late at night. <laughs> I said lean over. The audience can't see. Oh yeah, so he's got a he's got a pretty good stack back there. I see uh, some Batman sixties. Uh, oh, the top shelf you're looking at. Yeah. yeah, I see some Citizen Kane. I see a little uh, a nice Eraserhead book. Oh, it's hey, the, what's it's, that coffin in the corner? That is the Blind Dead collection. Hmm, who are the Blind Dead, Jarrett? Uh, it's kind of like who are the real dead type of movie. Mm, yeah. Who are the real monsters? Yeah. Well, it looks good, and uh, I would like to visit your house. When are you going to host uh, WrestleMania? Never. 
What about Royal Rumble? Never. Have you cut ties with the the WWE? Pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, it, it, it that uh that whole scene has uh hit a point where I just like couldn't care less. It's so, uh it's insulting wrestling, RJ. Uh, somehow you know people would be like, isn't all wrestling insulting to the intelligence? And it's like, yeah, yeah, it kind of is. But you know when wrestling's really good, um, it's like the best. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever. It's not going to be that way until uh, one man dies, and uh, in the meantime, they're dealing with Saudi Arabia, the uh, mm-hmm. the, dis- the country of dismemberment. Uh, mm-hmm. But maybe or maybe he didn't know, as uh, one president would say. Anyway, he does know. <laughs> well, CIA might know, but oh, well, well, that's too bad. I mean, you guys were uh, the only nerds I. I knew who were still hard on that wrestling. I know, scene. Nah. And, and now it's just like they've uh, that company WWE has made it very difficult to be able to care about their show. And that has nothing to do with like political stuff either. It's just like brutal to watch. I still catch up on it with some podcasts, but uh, mm-hmm. well, yeah. Jarrett, where am I going to go to drink beer now? Um, I'm sure that they'll some businesses will open up along the line that will help you out there. There's nowhere you can go to have a. A libation in this town. We're Dry County, baby. That's why I was <laughs> counting on your wrestling. Yeah, my, uh, Corey's basement. Corey's basement. Yeah, I did like hanging out there because uh, no one judged me because I sat behind you, mm-hmm. so no one could see all the stuff I was doing. Eating your spicy chips. Yeah, I did have spicy chips. Do you remember? You remember those spicy chips, Jared? Uh, I remember. Sorry, those are pretty up. spicy chips. Um, yeah. Another news. Um, uh, Creepsville, the the greater country of creep anida uh it's Ooh. it's it's a horrible place we all our kids are like raping each other with broomsticks and uh what else oh beating mm. coyotes to death it's uh it's been a real garbage garbage mm. week <laughs> this is all news to me oh. i don't know what you're talking about and i'd prefer not to know yeah exactly pretty much that's where i'm yeah. at yeah i would prefer not i'm getting to the point where i'm like that old guy who's just like i don't watch the news it's too sad but at the same time it's like i just don't like people so i don't really want to hear about other shitty people like you know what i mean brah i hear it yeah hey but when you're actually busy you you don't even know about the news because it just slides on by you i I, honestly the last like week or two uh i've been like really out of the loop with stuff like the twitters the instagrams all that junk all those social medias um and it's been pretty uh it's been pretty nice i haven't really even noticed I don't have time for other stuff that I like, but uh, <laughs> hey, at least I'm staying off the internet. Damn right. That's the best way to be, arguably. But yeah. hey, RJ, bringing us what? back to the internet, we got some emails. Any anyone, uh, any any that are good? I don't know. We'll let you, the listener, Emails decide. plural? Yeah. Okay. Not, not one, not two, but three. Three? Yeah. Uh, we're, we're getting almost full mailbags. Almost. Full M-A-L-E yep. mailbags. Yeah, after after four emails, they just uh, automatically delete. So uh, better, oh. be, better be careful. And it's, yep. Mm-hmm. So first up, we got Oliver. And uh, he steps up to the plate uh, on Frank's uh, challenge from last week about hosting. Right. And he wrote, I do plan on paying the hosting fee on the first New Zealand movie, An Angel at My Table, 301, <laughs> baby. So uh, yeah, we're making our way toward that. Three oh one. Do some mental math for me, real quick. But uh, how far is that going to be from now? Well, uh, we're at spine one forty two. 
So uh, we're getting close to halfway to there. So two and a half years. One point two. Yeah, that's about longer. two and a half years. Yeah, yeah, two and a half years of boats. Yeah. yeah it, well, it depends if I mean if you want to get serious like I am and like do one episode a night. <sighs> Or, I don't know, as many, like, one a night and then, like, two or three on Saturdays. We could probably get there in, like, a week. Yeah. Yeah, pay up, buddy. We're coming yeah, for well, that. We're coming for that 50 bucks. <laughs> well, I, I look forward to, uh, I look forward to that, um, that. Hey, is that 50 bucks? Is that a one-time thing for a yeah. one-time star? Correct. Yeah, oh, okay. it's not quite clear on the Patreon, but what happens with Patreon is uh, you can change the amount you kick in. Uh, mm-hmm. After you do it, basically at the beginning of the month is when uh, money is withdrawn. And then mm-hmm. after that happens, you uh, can set it back to whatever the heck you want. One buck, 20 bucks, whatever Ooh. you want. And uh, yeah, but that 50 bucks you only have to pay once. It's not like a continuous basis that you get to speak mm-hmm. to us one time. Yeah. Cool. I saw uh, we got some comments on the YouTube about being on uh, the show. Yes, and I directed them to the Patreon. Yeah. That's a it's a dangerous gambit, man. Because there, I bet there's a lot of people out there that have fifty dollars. That uh, once they they get on here, they're gonna be talking about their vape pens. Uh, you know, if it was me, and I was that other guy, I would pay fifty dollars just to come on this show to talk about that episode, the infamous four hundred blows one. And like, if it was his podcast and he was doing it, I would eat. I would totally pay fifty dollars to go onto his show and talk about why I think he is wrong. So uh, that could happen on these. That's true. Um, or the person so, on the other end could be a total chud. A total chud. How's that different from uh, right now? Um, I ask myself that every week. Next up, Frank Solano. And right. uh, his subject line here is, whoa, I spoke to director Sean Baker. What's up, dudes? Mm-hmm. Hope all is well. So I'll start with this. If you guys have yet to watch it, I highly recommend recommend the animated show Avatar The Last Airbender. Please, you cannot continue to live on without it. And no, it's not just a kiddie show. It's an everybody show. It's fucking amazing. RJ, have you ever watched Avatar The Last Airbender? I have not. I've heard about it several times mm-hmm. from several people. As have it, I. Uh, it sounds good, but no, I have... I've never done it. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm aware of that Avatar. Um, mm-hmm. The the comic graphic novels that uh, Dark Horse puts out uh, sell pretty well, and uh, I've heard really good things about Korra. In fact, I hear some people say Korra mm. is even better. But is I have that not. A spin-off? Yeah, I, I believe so. I'm not sure if it's a prequel or a sequel, but it's mm-hmm. set in the same universe. Uh, but I could, could be completely misinformed about it. But is I have, that the I have, DCEU? I have, yeah, I don't know. Keep uh, going. Anyways, I've heard of, I've heard of this show and I've heard it's good. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. finding time to watch whatever five, mm-hmm. seven, thirty seasons of a show—it's uh, it's tough to pull off. Next, mm-hmm. I'd like to address RJ's comment about Incubus and the dump truck of semen. I actually already yep. heard that conversation on whatever episode it was when I was going through the episodes for movies that I know. And you know what? Mm-hmm. I was blasting uh, it through my earphones and judging by the faces of the students in the elevator with me, they heard every word and they saw my wide grin. So thank you, RJ, for making me look like a creepy dude. <laughs> uh, honestly, that's probably the best compliment I'll ever get on the show. Um, and I mean that in all sincerity. It's like that, I mean, if I had to sit through it, I'm just trying to help out other people. And if if the worst, you just have an elevator of other people think you listen to podcasts about dump trucks full of semen, it's better than, you know, living it like us. I think that's how you know you're listening to a good podcast. Yeah, that's a quality show. Yeah. 
I'm on board. Now about the header. I spoke to director Sean Baker through Letterboxd. It was amazing. So Sean Baker logged Bergman's persona, and I commented, Hey, Sean, you going to buy that Criterion box set? And he responded, I think so. Holy fuck, my life is accomplished. Um, yeah, so that, that Criterion box set is out. Uh, I believe uh, mm-hmm. Frank has asked uh, everyone now if they are going to buy it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's hefty. I've seen some people call it uh, a film school mm-hmm. in a box. So do you think he means Sean Baker, director of Florida Project? I, I would assume so. Or Sean Baker, star of Jupiter Ascending? Uh, I'm just going to uh, go with star of Jupiter Ascending. Nice. Nice. He, he did explicitly say director. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm last just... thing to both of you. I recommend watching First Reformed. It's on Amazon Prime here in the U.S., mm-hmm. but I couldn't find a listing of the Canadian Prime catalog. Hopefully you guys do have access to it. That's all for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've seen that First Reformed movie pop up on Letterboxd several times from people that I follow, and everyone seems to be pretty positive on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen a trailer for it. I know nothing about it. Um, it's kind of like that Widows movie that just came out this week that I've mm-hmm. also seen people like really like saying how good it is. And I've never heard of it. And it just showed up one day, and I saw all these people going to the theater, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's from that Steve McQueen guy. Yeah. But, uh, uh, our boy Hammeat. Yep. Saw both of those at uh, TIFF. He's or no, actually, first reformed wasn't was already out. He saw Widows at TIFF. He said it was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, he said it's it's like no one's talking about it though, which is weird. And uh, first reformed does look good. From the man who brought us Affliction, Jarrett's favorite movie. Is it? Uh, is it uh, Paul Schrader? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, wow. dude. I had no idea. Yeah, no, it. Uh, I haven't seen any previews for it either, but um, I I saw like a one or two line description of it. I was like, that sounds cool. And uh, everyone, I just remember when it did come out, like I don't know, six months ago. I just my letterbox got flooded with people watching it, and I think uh, the unanimous thing was like, hey, Paul Schrader's making uh, good stuff again. And it's like, cool, hmm. cool. Yeah, I did. So that's cool. Yeah. And our third and final email from a new emailer. George Holsheimer. <laughs> and, Why, why'd you uh, laugh? Because uh, entitled fan mail. Hi. Oh, okay. Just a quick line to let you know that I appreciate you spending my Patreon donation to mispronounce my name. Mm. Also, I'm from the Netherlands, so you can check Europe off your list of territories to conquer. Excellent. Ah. And I'll be the nitpicking guy to point you out that a long take should not be confused with a long shot when talking about Haunting of Hill House episode. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm only a handful of episodes in, and I greatly appreciate your banter during my commute. Keep up the creeping. Well, I thank you, Jorge. Um, yes, uh, you, wouldn't, you'll, you know you're listening to the Criterion Creeps podcast because names will be mispronounced. Uh, like, names- like dump trucks of semen, mispronounced names uh, is our... Uh, our trademark and I will continue butchering mm-hmm. names left and right. Cause that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, any Mispronunci- thoughts, RJ? Yeah. yeah. Mispronunciations of names and also misappropriations of, uh, describing things and culture and cultures. Yeah. Uh, long shots, long tates, tates, long tates, Potato long t- shots, pots. long takes. Yeah. They're different, but, um, I don't know the difference, so I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. Hey, uh, but I'm honest about it. Does that count for anything? Yeah. And yeah. uh I'll I'll have some some takes of my own for haunting of mm-hmm. Hill House. Yeah. I saw you were watching it. I feel like you maybe hate watched it to uh prove a point or something, but we'll see. 
Hey, RJ. I'm interested to hear what you what. What you been creeping on this week? Jarrett, you ever heard of a movie called Dirty Dingus McGee? <laughs> you know, RJ, I was unaware of this film for the most part. Um, but then I saw you watched it. And I'm like, what in the fuck? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. George Kennedy, Western 70s. It's like, what? Is RJ stealing the Jarrett gimmick and watching these, mm-hmm. like, some obscure, strange, like, Western shit that, like, no one has ever watched? Because you are the only person I follow who has logged this film. Well, that's because I take this very seriously, Jarrett. Uh, I'm a film scholar. Uh, I'm probably one of the only world authorities on film, as uh, I like to call it. I know some people say the movies or the uh, the pic- picture show, but... Um, flicks. The flicks. Motion uh, pictures. So this, Jarrett, is entirely because I don't even remember what was going on, but I think um, I think I searched Dingus. On Letterboxd, <laughs> and I saw dirty. I saw this movie. It was like Dirty Dingus McGee. I was like, "What the fuck?" Uh, and I thought it was hilarious. Um, but then, uh, oh, you know what it was? Uh, this is directed by Burt Kennedy. Yeah, I don't know if he has any relation. Uh, the man who brought us Suburban Commando, one of my favorite movies, but also Hanny Calder, which I watched this year. Yeah. So I think what I was doing was after I watched Hanny Calder, I was looking through this guy's movies, and I saw that that poster and i was like dirty dingus mcgee oh my god so jared uh once you saw this did you read anything about uh ass breaker dirty dingus mcgee mm, just your review and i and i saw some stuff about frank's uh old frank himself yep. and uh blue eyes talking about i don't know some what have you and some red face and uh yeah i don't know man so I'm just going to read the letterbox description for people out there because I, w- I want you to get a real feel for what this movie is about. Uh, so the tag, uh, like the tagline is Sinatra plays cowboys and Indians for adults. And then here's the description. Ass breaker Dingus McGee is looking for a gold train when he comes upon old acquaintance Hokey Birdsill on, on stage to San Francisco and robs him. Uh, I'm not going to read the rest. I don't care. Um, so, so you got this guy, Frank Sinatra, and he's an ass breaker, uh, which, yeah, I know that might sound confusing, but what he does is he breaks mules and or donkeys. Um, so it's kind of like breaking horses, but I don't think donkeys need breaking because I think donkeys are pretty tame. So what we have here, Jarrett, is the Western comedy. Now, you watch a lot of Westerns. Can you... How, what is your opinion on the Western comedy? They suck shit. Yep. You know what sucks shit? Dirty Dingus McGee. No uh, shit. <laughs> no shit. So Frank Sinatra is in this. He's looking old as old as balls. Uh, I don't even know. He is 65 in this. No. And he's playing a young heartthrob. And, named- that's, and that's 70s, 19. Like, ooh, man, that's mm-hmm. rough. Because, like, dudes in their, that age, they really look old i think the worst thing is his uh absolutely ridiculous hair i don't know what it is his hair is so stupid in this movie whenever he was on screen i was like Ugh. Ugh. so you got dingus mcgee uh real name um he's an ass breaker and he's kind of like wanted for petty crime he's got like wanted posters for like 10 bucks and stuff like that and one day he's in town and he comes across george kennedy who's playing hokey birdsill um, and they knew each other from the past. Dingus McGee knows that he's like made him money, so he robs him. 
and then Hokey goes to the local brothel. Uh, and the only scene that I thought was like actually kind of funny was uh, Hokey goes to the or George Kennedy. George Kennedy goes to the brothel and there's like a military guy outside and he plays the trumpet. And then all of the military men bust out from all the windows and all the doors and all the whorehouses and they're climbing down ropes and they're kicking the, the, all the girls around. And cause, uh, it's, it's just funny stuff, Jarrett. They're trying to flee the scene. So anyways, uh, he goes there and, um, George Kennedy shacks up with the lady who runs the horror house. Uh, but she is also the town mayor. So she makes George Kennedy the sheriff so he can go and capture Frank Sinatra. In the meantime, Frank Sinatra meets uh, an in, um, indigenous uh, woman, Jarrett, played by an actress uh, named Michelle Carey. She is not of indigenous descent, I don't think, but they do read her up a little bit. Uh, and her name in this movie is Anna Hotwater. And when she meets Frank Sinatra, she goes, Anna Hotwater, me ding ding. Uh, and they have sex. And they do that a few times in this movie. Um, because I think that is probably what uh, interactions between cowboys and indigenous folks were like back then. Just, you know, saying ding ding and having sex with each other. Good stuff. So Sinatra gets mixed up with the uh, the savages. And then they, I don't know, a whole bunch of shit happens where it's like George Kennedy and his, his like army of hookers versus Frank Sinatra and an army of some real uh, indigenous people. And then a lot of white people in red face. So uh, this is a real piece of shit, Jarrett. <laughs> As uh, I'm sure you can imagine. Oy. I've already given it too much time, but uh, I was kind of bummed out because I, I guess nothing could live up to the title Dirty Dingus McGee. That's true. Uh, this is, this is uh, I think this one's due for a remake. We could get someone like, I don't know, Tay Sheridan. You know, the guy who brought us like uh, all those like quasi new westerns, Hell or High Water and... Uh, What's that one about the winter and the cold? You know, with Jeremy River. Yeah, that one. He he seems in this stuff, so maybe he can bring us a a hot new remake about uh, Dirty Dingus McGee. So, anyways, that movie sucks, <laughs> and uh, I don't recommend watching it. Yeah. Okay, Jarrett. Yeah. Hey, you know what movie uh, hasn't aged horribly well? Empire Records. That movie was never that great from the beginning, though. Yeah, I have. So here's the thing with Empire Records. I understand people, there's a lot of people who talk about the nostalgia for this movie. And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I get it. I have a lot of movies like that too. Uh, this one, I there, I was never super hot on this movie. But watching it, it had so many 90s vibes. I, uh, I was like, oh, okay, I can kind of see it. But uh, not having any connection to it, um, I was like, whatever. Uh, I remember this movie because of the poster. Because that always stuck out to me at... Uh, the movie store at empire video or whatever it was when i was renting videos because you got Liv tyler and then you have the dude from uh can't hardly wait um the guy who plays preston uh preston myers he's like grabbing his butt and stuff and then there's a dog wearing headphones which i don't think ever happens in the movie and i thought it was really or and i thought that was a real bummer but empire records jared 
is about a record store that is losing money and getting bought by a chain. Uh, we deduced in the first couple minutes that the reason they're probably losing money is because they have 12 employees on staff <laughs> all day and about eight of them hang out in the break room all day. Uh, I know it's wild stuff, but uh, it's true. So there's there's like stuff in this movie. It's like that doesn't really make any sense. It's like why do so many people work here? Well, because right. back in 1994, minimum wage mm-hmm. was probably like four dollars. Yeah, but four dollars times twelve. Yeah, times ten. When when you sell one CD for like twenty bucks. Yeah, that's true. So you got the record store. It's Rex Manning Day. That real sleazy like. Uh, I don't even know how to de- describe him. He's like kind of David Hasselhoffy, like singer. He's got the the coiffed, blowed out hair, and he wears like velvet shirts. He's coming in for a signing, and they get into all sorts of hijinks. Yeah, Garrett. Uh, this movie's it's fine. It's it's not like good. Um, it's got some good music in it, but I think on the whole, uh, I don't think it's actually very good. There's a lot of stuff in it. You're just watching. You're like, all right, no. all right. You're, you're. I get it. Okay. Ooh, '90s, edgy, and then it's like, ooh, dark. I was 11 years old when this movie came out, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I didn't think it was very good when it came out. But I had friends that were like super into this movie, and it was like, oh, the movie's so good. But they, mm-hmm. they also really were into Clerks. So. Uh, yeah, I can see the rats. connection there. <laughs> yeah, and I there, get it. And there I was with my Dumb and Dumber tape. Saying like, "Hey, Dumb and Dumber's brilliant," and they're like, "Who's oh, fucking stupid?" And mm. I'm like, "Well, who is right all along?" Did you show them? I showed them. Time okay. showed them. Time showed them. Well, Jared, I don't even really have a whole lot to say about Empire Records. That's fine. Uh, yeah, it's been forever since I watched it, and uh, I intend to never watch it ever again. Good. Let's be done with it. Hey, Jared, do you want to hear about the probably the biggest piece of shit movie <laughs> I've seen in like maybe five years? Even since uh, Mile 22? This is worse than Mile 22? Okay. Yeah, I, I'd love to hear because I didn't even know you watched this till like just like, a f- like 15 minutes ago. So <laughs> I got... I got drugged to this movie and I didn't, I really didn't want to see it because it looked like one of the worst fucking movies I have ever seen. Uh, but it happened and I went. Um, I went to see Hunter Killer, the submarine thriller starring Gerard Butler. Uh, this movie also has Common. Uh, Gary Oldman, fresh off his Oscar win. I think this is the first movie since his Oscar win. Uh, is this Churchill? It's got... Yeah, isn't it? Is this not his first movie since I... Churchill? Who knows? Who knows? Doesn't matter. Uh, you have them. And then you have uh, classic Russian actors like Michael Nyquist. Yeah, that, how's that for a name? Uh, yeah. he, if you see him, you'll recognize him. He's in like uh, Ghost Protocol and John Wick. And then you have Mikhail Gorve. Uh, he's kind of creepy. Um, there's one guy, though, who like you see him and stuff all the time. And he's like quintessential Russian guy. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Doesn't matter. Um, so, OK, I got drugged to this movie, Hunter Killer, directed by Donovan Marsh. That's right, the man who brought us Spud and Spud 2, uh, written 
by uh, this movie has five credited writers. Uh, the guy who wrote the book, three screenwriters that have zero other credits, and then one screenwriter who did uh, like the Hunger Games. I don't know how he's attached to this thing. I, I'm thinking they just put his name on it. Uh, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh, this this movie, Jared, is about a team, uh, a submarine like fleet. Uh, not no, not even a fleet. It's just one sub of hunter killer class, which their whole thing is that they're supposed to be like covert subs, which doesn't even really like make sense to me. Uh, in an opening scene, you have an American hunter killer approaching on a Russian one, and you have these guys going, they don't even know we're here. Class, and then Jarrett, a torpedo comes at them from somewhere else. Classic irony if mm-hmm. you've ever seen it um so uh, an american sub gets sunk uh, over in russian waters so they send a, a second american sub uh, the closest captain for subs is gerard butler he's like somewhere in alaska hunting deer and you see him about to shoot a deer uh, or like a big buck but uh then you see that there is a a doe and a baby deer. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to let him go. And this shows that he has compassion, Jarrett, and that he's a nice guy. Uh, but then his cell phone rings. Cause you know, when I go hunting, I usually have my cell phone with me. And, uh, as you can imagine, immediately after his cell phone rings, a helicopter drops on him. <laughs> he's got to get to work, baby. Uh, so they send him in. Sounds like a rival. Oh, get you. We're getting there. There's some arrival stuff. Maybe. No, there isn't. Maybe, maybe some annihilation. <laughs> um, they do go into weird places, but so meanwhile at the Pentagon, you have Gary Oldman, who I assume was on set for maybe one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in a couple scenes. Um, he's not really trying. He doesn't really need to, but uh, he's playing like army general guy who's in control. But he's got a little bit of a quick trigger finger, Jarrett. He always wants. He's like, we better go in there and blow up Russia. And everyone's like, all right, well, just, you know, maybe calm down a little bit. But uh, and then we have Common. Uh, He is like the second in command guy. And he's kind of like giving advice. And uh, Linda Cardellini. And she's like a Russian liaison. Uh, They're all mostly fine. Common does some pretty, uh, pretty blunt line reading at a few points where I don't know if it's like he's not trying or if that's just how he comes off. Where he's like, I'm going to do this. okay?" And you're like, all right. You don't have to talk like that. Anyways, so they're in they're in the Pentagon and they don't like this. Uh, so they want to send in a group of rogue or not rogue, uh, like covert um, Navy SEALs into the scene as well. So you get introduced to these people now. There is a team of four Navy SEALs. Three of them are really experienced. Uh, and you get dropped in on a training scene where they're training the rookie and it's some guy who's like really bad at stuff. Uh, and then they get called into like probably the most important mission in U.S. history. Uh, and they have this guy who's never done anything before. And it makes you wonder. It's like, why is he on this team? doesn't matter. Uh, so they go in. What they discover is the Russian sec- uh, general of like defense or Secretary of Defense, is doing a coup d'etat, and he's taking over. So he's killing the Russian president, or prime minister, I believe they call him in this movie. Yeah, uh, they, they so have Ger- both. Yeah, they have both. So Gerard Butler's going in there, and they're like, did we just uh, cause World War Three?" And he's like, we may have sailed into it. 
which I thought mm. was like a weird thing because I don't I don't think subs sail. I don't know. That's what they do. Um, but so you have some submarine scenes where their weight shifts and they all move over. Uh, you have a scene where Gerard Butler's like, we're going to hide on the bottom like a catfish. And uh, the sub just drops to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, you have scenes of subs um, outrunning torpedoes. They're like they're dodging minefields. You have the Navy SEAL guys doing all sorts of their stuff that doesn't make any sense. Like at one scene, they break into the place where they're like they get the mission. It's like you go save the Russian president so we don't stop or so so people will believe that we didn't start a war if we can get him out of there. So they go in there and they get him. And instead of like taking him out covertly, they decide to open the door and start shooting the base that has like 800 Russian soldiers in it. For what reason, Jarrett? I don't know because there needed to be an action scene, I guess. Uh, So they like go to get him and bring him out. And there's so much shit in this movie, Jarrett. Like, if I asked you to write an army movie about like two two different sides that are like trying to fight each other, but they're also trying to work stuff out, like if I you could write this thing in like ten minutes. I don't know how this thing got put off. There's so many problems with it. Like nothing fucking makes sense. It's like why did they do that? Why are they doing this? Like what's going on? And even the direction. Like, the guy who directed this, this guy's a huge piece of shit, too. There's a scene where, like, uh, Common is briefing Gary Oldman, and they're, like, it's, like, a, like, one-and-a-half-minute dialogue scene, and the camera is, like, circling around them to show that it's, like, tense, right? So it's, like, this circling camera around them to show that they're, like, moving, but then it cuts to different parts of the circle. Like, the camera just cuts over and over, and you're, like, what? Like, it, it makes you, like... You're like, why are they showing, why are they presenting it like this? It doesn't make sense. You have scenes where Gerard Butler's making like seemingly all the wrong calls. It's like this guy, this sub fired on us. Should we fire back? And he's like, no. And then you have his second in command who's like, captain. He's like, this is the most reckless, uh, reprehensible stuff I've ever seen. You're going to be court-martialed. And Gerard Butler's like, why don't we just wait and see? And then like by chance, a different Russian ship will come and like shoot the, the torpedo out of the water. And they're like, how did you know? And he's like, I didn't know. I just hoped it would happen. Hmm. And it's like, what? Well, it's so really, you have, that's really good writing, RJ. There's no yeah. what about it. I mean, it's just, oh man, this is so smart. Yeah, I didn't know. I just, uh, I just hoped. Uh, this has like every bad quality of any movie you've ever seen in it. It is a gigantic piece of shit. It is one of the worst movies I have ever seen. And Jarrett, this movie has the audacity to be over two hours long. Hmm. This thing's horrible. I don't even there's so much bad stuff in this thing. I don't I I could talk to you for about three hours about why this movie is really oh, bad. Please don't do that. I, I don't want to. I'm going to end it there. But I'm just saying, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I knew it was going to be bad, but, uh, you know, now it's on our show forever. Hmm. Well, thank you for staining our uh, our, our Criterion Creeps podcast list mm-hmm. on Letterboxd with this film. With Hunter Killer? So are you excited? Are you going to go see the Hunter Killer? No. I have uh, no one in my life that would make me go see this. 
Well, aren't you lucky? Quite, quite lucky. I don't have that privilege. And uh, it's, yeah, it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I, I can say that with confidence. Outstanding. Mm-hmm. So what about you? Do you watch movies anymore or are you, uh, are you dead? Mm, well, RJ, uh, last week this this chucklehead I know, uh, they were telling me, dude, you got to watch this Haunting of Hill House. You got to watch it. House. You got to watch it. It's so good. I, I didn't I parade like, you too much, well, did I? And I was like, oh, man. Fuck, I guess. So okay. first, though, I uh, mm-hmm. I had this idea. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll like uh, I'll, I'll I'll read that uh, haunting of Hill House first. I'll read that Shirley Jackson or, original story, but I, I I don't have a copy of the book. So I'm like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna try listening to an audio book of it. I'm gonna do nice. that first. And I realized it's like it's only like like just less than seven hours to listen to it. I'm like, oh, that'll be great. And I'm like, oh shit, it's narrated by David Warner. Um, that's really neat. Cool. And, uh, I listened to the first couple chapters of it and I realized I don't like listening to audiobooks at all. Yeah, that's it's, fine. It's not how I digest information. Uh, like when I walk with my headphones on, mm-hmm. uh, I find podcasts and their conversational, uh, styling far like more fitting when I'm walking around. They just hold my attention. Whereas if I'm walking around listening to a man narrating something, I just completely lose like my attention is not there. Mm-hmm. I cannot listen to it. Maybe I have to train my brain to listen to audiobooks better, but it's it's tough. I've only had mm-hmm. success uh, listening to Stephen King and David Lynch doing like autobiographical stuff. But uh, <laughs> so that was a wash. Mm-hmm. Um, so that left me with the like, well, I guess I better start watching this ten hours of uh, <laughs> Netflix show, mm-hmm. and I did just that. Um, did you watch all of it? Yeah, I, I finished it. I finished it last night. Good for um, you. Yeah. So, first of all, uh, Netflix, huh? Um, oh. Okay. You're gonna you're gonna go that way, huh? No, no, no. Okay. So That's fine. That's fine if you here, don't like it. Here, here's some thoughts. Here's some things okay. I'll throw out there. Uh, so Mike yeah. Flanagan has kind of like uh, accomplished this goal of becoming like the like kind of a Stephen King as filmmaker. Um, that, 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 I, I think I follow. Yeah, that's kind of like where like, that's where he's been heading toward. Um, and in this regard, he has a lot of buildup, and <laughs> then he has the ending. Which, and then the end. Uh, then, then the ending is just like a non-ending. In fact, it left like a real like negative taste in my mouth, where I'm kind of like, oh, I was kind of enjoying this, and that's how <laughs> you ended things. And now I I don't even know if I like this anymore. Um, it's very can, weird because I've can, also, but I've also heard like other people have like the mm-hmm. exact same reaction where they get to the end of it. And so mm-hmm. the one thing I was mentioning last week to you about, like I had read some people who like were familiar with the source material having problems with it. But mm-hmm. the, at the time I did, I forgot completely that like the haunting, like the Robert Wise movie was mm-hmm. actually, and the, the Jean de Bont, uh, film the remake from 99 mm-hmm. uh, were actually based on the same source material. And then right. based on your description of haunting of Hill house, I'm like, well, it's completely different. Like yeah. it is in no way the same thing at all. Other than mm-hmm. like four names, four names, like they, and it's like illusions. Mm-hmm. They're not the same characters. There's a Dr. Montague. Um, there's like an Eleanor, a Theodora, a Luke, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. But like, but beyond that, this is a completely original thing. And I believe that, like, the the guys that I've seen kind of complain about it, like Stephen Bissett, uh, artist mm-hmm. of Swamp Thing and, like, big horror connoisseur in his life, Tim Lucas, writer of Video Watchdog, they seem to have, like, mm-hmm. kind of an issue with the fact that they call this Haunting of Hill House because they could have called it anything. 
and it would have been the same story, but it's like, why are they sure. basing this on the Shirley Jackson story when it has like nothing to do with it? And it seems it's just like a weird yeah. like uh, idea to do it this way. But whatever, mm-hmm. that doesn't matter because that has nothing to do with my enjoyment of it. Because I've never read the source material. This thing stands on its own as its own thing. Um, mm-hmm. So where to begin? First episode was fine. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I became very aware of like all the influences that mm. are on this. And like, I can see like, Oh, this is like it. Oh, this is like six feet under. Mm. Oh. And it's like all these things that Mike Flanagan likes or the people who worked on it, they all like yep. these other things. And they're kind of like taking those things and coalescing them into this like horror idea. That's fine. Um, the second episode. So, okay. Netflix. They have this gimmick now where like, all their shows do this thing where like each episode focuses on a character. Now mm-hmm. uh, I was talking mm-hmm. about this with a friend of mine who just watched daredevil season three and they did the same thing. Like every uh-huh. episode's like, Oh, it's the Karen page episode. Oh, it's the Kingpin episode. Oh, it's the bullseye episode. And mm-hmm. it's this really uh clever way of like extending the life of your series by like doing this. And mm-hmm. I remember, like, on Stranger Things Season 2, I think, they, they're they're doing those things, too, where it's like, oh, we're going to have an episode that focuses just on this one character. And, hey, remember Arrested Development Season 4? Oh, when they did, like... So, like, this is weird thing where yeah. you're like... I, I, so, when Sopranos would do that back in the day, uh, mm-hmm. in, during the golden age of television, as people would call it, um, it was, like, a, a novelty thing. But not every episode of Sopranos had like, oh, it's the Chris episode. Oh, it's this episode. I mean, you had mm-hmm. you had the protagonist, but because it was t- uh, television and they had like these big supporting characters, you would jump around and tell multiple people's storylines all around. And it kind of kept you like mm-hmm. engaged with the whole thing until it got to an episode where it's like, we're just going to do one episode focusing on one person because there's enough there to merit that. Mm-hmm. Haunting of Hill House, it's so hung up on this idea of like this structure uh, as a formal idea of like, we're going to do an episode with each character and tell their story. Um, right. And it's like, that's a lot. And it really feels mm-hmm. like, cause essentially, cause this didn't even feel like I was watching a season of a show. It felt like I was watching a 10 hour long movie and boy, you gotta, you gotta be doing a lot of heavy lifting when you're doing a 10 hour movie to justify it. Um, and that's what sort of the Netflix formula allows for. And I get that. Like people find that like, Oh, it's a challenge to try to like, do your thing that way and i've mm-hmm. seen a lot of people it works really well for them but um there, there was times where i was getting resentful of how long this was and the fact that like there was other stuff i mm-hmm. wanted to watch but kind of like why i don't play video games i felt like this mm-hmm. became a job and I'm like i have to watch this i can't stop watching it and like Good. busy days like i can't i mean i'm not gonna watch mm-hmm. something else in the meantime oh fuck i have to watch the last wave this week so that was like the yeah. only other thing i watched but there was other stuff i wanted to watch i wanted to watch buster scruggs but uh that didn't happen i wanted to watch hereditary but that didn't happen either because i was oh. locked into watching haunting of hill house um this, this is my frustration Good. and why i mean i don't watch a lot of tv and i probably mm-hmm. won't be for a while uh again um, you know what I wish you would have watched instead was uh, The Terror or Atlanta <laughs> yeah, I, or something. I, 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 I'm aware. Now, and now those are off the table, RJ. I'm, 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 well, I'm, that's not on me, man, because I told you to watch those months ago. Months ago. Oh, several months ago. But it's this is the same thing where I get yeah. – uh, I just – I don't know. So anyway, what do I like about Haunting of Hill House? Um, yeah, tell me. The elements I liked – 
Uh, I thought that the show did a, the, a much better job of making a drug addict sympathetic, far better oh. than, say, Sid and Nancy. <laughs> oh, God. My, so I don't know if I said it when I was talking about it, but the Owen ep- or Luke. The Luke episode, like episode four where it's his, that's by far my favorite. I, I did yeah. mention how I like the depiction of the ghost in that one the best, like the tall man, the way he moves like his space like spatially i think that it's the best ghost and I, I think that is the best episode i i know everyone's really hot on five and six but uh i liked his the most like i think that it's a really that episode on its own like you said depicting like uh like drug abuse and stuff like that oh i, I loved it and just what how, did you and just how fucking shitty everyone is to him like all the oh. time but it's like i mean it's it's fair enough because yeah i mean I've never had a drug addict in my life, but I imagine that dealing with a drug addict for mm. years and years and years uh, becomes really frustrating and gets you to this mm-hmm. point where you're very callous to it and you're just like, what are you going to do? Rip me off again? But it's kind of weird because the show doesn't show that part. They, they intentionally they talk sp- about it. They talk about it, but they kind of strip out that part. They always make him fairly sympathetic. But like at the same time, it's like, well, he's this person dealing with this trauma, mm-hmm. um, I suppose. And it's like, and they get into that too, like by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the episode breakdown, first episode was fine. Uh, mm-hmm. I, second episode was definitely my one of my least favorites. Uh, it was uh, the, funeral home, yeah. The, the, or what, Shirley? Yeah, it was Shirley, named after Shirley Jackson. Uh, that was just like very, like I mean, I loved Six Feet Under, uh, and just this just felt like third rung stuff. Like I got where they were mm-hmm. going with it, but. They were trying to do it, but yeah. they didn't like, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, then the it picks up with third episode with uh, Theo, uh, other sister. I thought that episode was better. And then the Luke episode I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. And then you get to five and six where things start getting going. Yeah. With the spook town and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do like the spook but, town. But so episode six was kind of like, oh, hey, it's the long take episode. And uh, where, and it's like, that's neat, I guess. And then episode seven, though, yeah. I started getting frustrated again because it's an oh. entire episode of like, oh, they still haven't fucking buried her. Like, we haven't gotten past this point. And yeah. it just keeps like... Because that's the dad episode where you're kind of getting his perspective and him yeah. dealing with the mold. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, Okay, another thing. Television and Netflix. Monologues. Everyone's got a oh, fucking yeah. monologue. <laughs> yeah, they they all monologue and they all have their point. Like for the dad, it I I, I get what you mean. Like there's a few of these things that could have probably been broken down a little bit more so it wasn't <laughs> as much of one or two things, but uh I, I mean, I don't know. We when we watched them we had no problem for that stuff, but I, I do, I kind of know why, why I think you had an issue with it, but uh, monologue and, but hey, how cool is it? Did it make you, did it make you sad when the dad came to see his kids for the first time in like twenty years, and, and the way and, and their little kids and, then and their little kids. kids and it's so sad, or or did you find that? Uh, it wasn't bad. I didn't dislike yeah. it. I, I'm I like, like, oh, that's a neat touch, and then they just fixed mm-hmm. around. You're like, oh, cool, you just move the actors in and out. It's a very yep. simple thing to pull off. Um, so yeah, the guy who plays young dad, I thought he was not good 
<laughs> like he was it, he was weird. Um yeah. like he had, he had this offness to him that like I was like what mm-hmm. is with his delivery? Like he just seems so weird. And then we get to uh Timothy Dutton who yeah. basically has taken on all of the like least attractive elements of John Cusack and Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay. So it's funny that you say that about Young Dad or Elliot from E.T., mm-hmm. uh, as we all know him. Uh, he's one of Flanagan's boys. He was in Gerald's game as a sex pedophile. No. Uh, but here he's uh, full of re- redeeming qualities. Um, Andrea said the exact same thing. She's like, what is up with this guy? Like he's so he's like has no affect at all. Like he's like, why is he not like responding to what's going on in this house? Why is he never like he's never just like, whoa, that's weird. He's always just like super understanding. But also the way he the way he actually like speaks, it's just like, man, this guy's got like no tone to like what he does. Yeah. And then there's like like there's that whole uh, the Dudley monologue where he's talking about it. And he's just like, uh huh. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. He's like, mm-hmm. what the hell? <laughs> it's like have yeah. some sort of response to this. Oh man. So Andrea said the same thing about the young guy, but uh, I really liked old dad. I thought old dad was awesome. Uh, And uh, I think they were cast really well because they have the same weird eyes, Mm. just hollow piercing eyes. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Yeah. So anyways, keep going. And then uh, episode eight is the, the Carter episode. And uh, that's got a pretty good jump scare in it. Spoilers. Which one? The car episode. When when they're all driving to find Luke, who's run away. And yeah, that all, one does have a jump scare. That one's got a pretty good jump scare. I, I wasn't really jump? expecting it. I went, oh. <laughs> yep. um, and then episode nine is like, oh, it's the calm before the storm. Let's get a bunch of back information on the mom, the 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 one of the more important characters who will leave to last. Yeah. And then you get it's... to the last episode, and it and it turns out it's like an episode of Star Trek. Why Why do you say that? Uh, again, spoilers, because it's a yeah. it's, it's 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 sentient mold. <laughs> oh, okay, right. I, I got gotcha. you. It's, it's like yep. oh, it's this the spores, and it's uh, making us see things because it wants us to be a part of it. And mm-hmm. uh, oh my, I was just kind of like, okay, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I don't know, because the whole time, I guess like I was not like paying attention that much until like that last episode and then they really made it obvious it's like oh mold okay because like at that time you're just like oh it's a, it's a spook show and there's like the yep. whole reading that's like ah the the liberal secular humanists how are they going to confront the uh the supernatural and like there's always been this thing that like i've talked about with witches and stuff like that when you make a witch movie and you show actual <laughs> witches it kind of justifies a witch hunt and in this story you're like well how is it that there's never been like actual like hauntings depicted and this is the first time ever that there's actually been a place where there's been haunting but in this you could explain it it's like oh well it has this particular mutant strain of mold that like is creating the situation okay that's neat and it's like well how the hell is there ghosts at the funeral home it's like well there's mold on the corpse of uh of nelly or you could even say alternatively jared Mm. i mean if you really wanted to elaborate on this and find some way to explain it you could say that the mold is inside all of them in their lungs because they breathed it in for an entire year and it's been living inside of them. They didn't live in it for a year. They were only there for a summer. Oh, they were like two months. So they lived there for two months and it's in their lungs forever. Just say that. Yeah, and then they were in a room that they all kept walking into because it's Mm -hmm. it's like super powerful and it doesn't want to be alone. I don't know. Or it's hungry. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of a mishmash. And then it's all like – 
it's it's goes for it's trying to pull off so much. Like there's like 2001 sort of references going on and stuff like that. And you're just like, like mm-hmm. I don't know. It it kind of overreaches. And then the final sure. beats of it are just like ridiculous. I laughed out loud at old old, old Dudley's man. That that, <laughs> I, that was that was some that horse one? shit right there. That was uh, uh well, bridge too far. It doesn't make any sense because I think the casting is so good for everything else. It's like you could have just got two old people. We would have figured it out. Yeah. You didn't have to old up a replacement Scully from the X-Files and dude with a beard. <laughs> yeah. Like that part's pretty bad. That part's pretty bad. That part's real, real stink. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Another random thought when I was like watching this. And I was like, so there's this whole thing with like the Crane kids. They've all mm-hmm. like... They're all married to like diverse ethnic people now. Like, and the, and the one where it's like the husband, noticed and, and it's like, oh, the one guy who married the white woman, who's like also very, like, she's a very white woman, like ginger mm-hmm. hair and stuff like that. Oh, they're they're divorced, they're splitting up. But everyone else, yeah. it's like, I married a black guy. I'm into an Asian woman. I'm into a Latino guy, and blah blah. blah. It's just like mm-hmm. this is like, is this how they're doing the inclusion thing? <laughs> like, is this like is this a weird guess. like casting idea? Like, yeah, we gotta get those, we gotta get those people interested in this, so we're gonna have them as supporting characters it's just like odd because you're like Jared, hmm, it's they were so traumatized from what they were doing that they were just like you know what we're all gonna do something different we all got to get away from each other it's like you're dating this kind of guy all right i'll date someone else they didn't all want to like be the same anymore okay yeah because when you live in a family with five kids you try to differentiate yourself a little bit yeah that's why theo wore gloves Ah. And not because of rape monsters in the basement. Well, so is there like actual? So were there psychic powers involved? Like this is the thing about this. World. That's what I. Uh, well, so we when we were watching it because we've had conversations about this before. We thought that Thea or Theo, Theo. was uh, an Theo. empath. Yeah. So it wasn't that she was like a psychic, but she could pick up on feelings, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't that she could see what was going on, but she could, she could feel like whatever the feeling or emotion was imprinted on stuff, which is supernatural still. Mm -hmm. But that was how we saw it. It was like, Oh, she's an empath, not like a a psychic. Yeah. But I guess there's also the twins who also kind of have, it's a twin thing. thing, Well, I mean, it's, but it's also a shining thing because as we all know, uh, it was very clear watching this, that somebody likes uh, Kubrick shining. Hmm, I don't follow. Yeah. Just the way that ghosts are handled and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of like, this could just be, this is full on uh, Kubrick shining. Did you do the ghost hunt when you were watching this? Not really, but I definitely noticed there was a couple that were like, oh, cool, there's one. I, there's yeah. like there's like the one where I think it's like um, when uh, Elliot is uh, reaching into the brick wall and there's just like mm-hmm. a white haired ghost kind of just watching off to the side. And it's yeah. like... So that's the other thing too, is like, there's moments where they, they use musical stings to drive home mm-hmm. spookiness. And I'm like, you know, it would be so much better if they didn't use any music there at all. And they just let yeah. the moments go. Just like when the, uh, probably the best creepy, uh, probably the most memorable part of this, I think for when I've talked to other people about this is the, um, the, uh, was it dead elevator, dead elevator? Uh, oh yeah. In the, when that, he goes down. Yeah. And like the, you get the like pirate ghoul. <laughs> The no-legged uh, boy. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, so Andrea made an astute. She was like, it's the no-legged boy because he ripped the P 
piece of the pajamas that had like a train on it or a sailboat or something mm, because yeah. he was a little boy. And so that's why. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, it was a good observation, girl. I think it's the pirate ghoul, though. So. Oh, well, whatever. We uh, we <laughs> well, saw it our own way. It was a bootlegger. Uh, <laughs> I thought that one was fine. Um, the two that I really liked is in the first episode when the dad is like escaping everyone out of the house. Yep. And he's running down the staircase and he runs out the door with the. The shitty kid uh and then there's just like some dude standing in the background and it doesn't really get a lot of attention you can see him it's not like yeah. hidden or anything uh that and then uh, like i said before i really like the tall man i like the way he floats around with his cane and then i love adult luke the way he sees him like kind of just always in the background and how he's always kind of creeping closer mm-hmm. loved it loved that shit it's good what was your favorite ghost that old lady old lady was cool because she was understated and just like a she was just like Mm -hmm. a helpful ghost yeah Uh, she was just fine she wasn't like what did you think of poppy oh i mean that's that's kind of like she's the the shining ghost to me she's like the bartender bartender? yeah yeah and then you see moments of her as an old ghoul which was fine and they didn't bring attention to it we're just like oh they cut over and oh now she's old and then she's back to illusionary and it's like it's like old lady getting out of the bathtub with a chunk of ass yeah. out of her see yeah. this is what i'm saying yeah, there's, there's all these little things i, and, I got you I and there's the you. structure so i'm kind of wondering like i'm sure there's like super fans of the show that might like wind up turning the show into like chronological order where you can watch it from like the in order of events and then mm-hmm. like whatever see how it puts how it all measures up and i'm sure somebody's probably put together the entire history of the hill house through all the anecdotes that get tossed around i did oh, like yeah. I, I did like how they did that though they, they never <laughs> like over like heavy-handedly exposit what's going on like all the yeah. information is kind of just deposited kind of all throughout the series and you're kind of like having to half remember like what was that detail and you can't remember exactly because you're like oh it was like an offhand comment it actually reminded me a lot of uh how george r, r. martin's uh game of thrones which also involves five animals to mm-hmm. correspond with children um mm-hmm. and uh which uh, animals I, were in this one the, the kittens uh, the, 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 the part that you put out of your mind. Remember, oh, how they about, all died. Dude. How about CGI kittens? <laughs> and, yeah, and I mean, C- I prefer CGI, that, and CGI uh, uh, cockroaches and CGI other things that look really shitty. Okay, oh, yeah, so episode even it looks bad, episode I five. Prefer. I thought episode five. I thought was like definitely. I think the most effective. The ending of that where the you find neck woman. The, yeah, you get the payoff to Nell because you kind of know yeah. what that's where it's going, but then they pull mm-hmm. it off and you're like, oh my god, that's fucked up. And, the way uh, uh, the cyclical nature of the drop. Yeah, but at the same time, I well, yeah, the whole fact that it's like, oh, she's yeah. trapped. This is her like. But then they abandon it by the end of the yeah. sh- episode. Like by the end of the series, they've completely like, oh yeah, she's over that now. Yeah. And you're like, okay, like uh, how did yeah. how does that work? It's so it's so frustrating. All the weird. I, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, because yeah. like to me, that's like, well, that's like horrifying. But then mm-hmm. uh, they're like, oh, so but now she's fine. She's talking to her brother, and now she can hang out with her parents and. Uh, <laughs> Da, da, da. I don't know. It there's so many weird things that I'm like, this could be improved a lot if they did it differently, or I don't know. And yeah, as I was mentioning with like, yeah, the whole CGI, the CGI of the whole drop too is very TV ish. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wish they'd had a little bit more money to do that. Maybe two less yeah. episodes. 
maybe yeah andy mentioned that too and she's not usually a stickler for stuff but she's like yes yeah, she's got some uh dodgy uh cgi and i was like yeah that's horror baby that's the horror world well that's, sometimes yeah that's the uh, 80 85 percent of the horror world yeah dodgy cgi mm-hmm. dodgy Jarrett duncans yeah and so, yeah, how, how do you feel about the, the mold thing? Is that like me? Uh, that, uh, I was fine with it. No, like, but it like, didn't I'm curious, me, like, but... do, you, do you think that's like an accurate reading of it? Uh, do you think when they do, if, if they actually, someone does a season two of Haunting of Hill House, which apparently is a possibility, which would then discount yep. this from being a self-contained miniseries, um, that they will, they'll continue on with like mold or they'll just make yep. a full on... Uh, my guess is if it was a different production team and like not Flanagan and all that, uh, my guess is they would just shoehorn it in someplace where it's like, oh, there's mold here. Oh, weird. And like, that'd be it. And then it'd be like, see, it's still there. It's still there. You guys, there's mold. I don't think it would be as prominent as it is uh, shown in this one. But if like, if Flanagan comes back, he might like not not in like not even just like blatantly be like, hey, check out this mold. Yeah. But it might actually be like given a bit of attention where it's like, oh, that's weird. I wonder what that is. I don't know. Yeah, I don't share it. And then yeah, the Dudleys are kind of given this thankless task of being <laughs> dogs. Watch dogs. Yeah. Gatekeepers. Uh, of, let, uh, house. let me just bury my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So at the, up to a yeah. point though, I I thought that um, Abigail was a ghost. Yeah, and then like mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm like, oh, it's like her miscarried the, her miscarried yeah. child is like now their daughter, and she's like living with them, and that's why they yeah. stick around the house because that's the only reason you would hang out. But no, they had another kid and they're homeschooling. But at yeah. the same time, like, oh, that'd be like really weird, or that'd be a cool twist that the the yeah. kid was dead all along. But then they're like, oh no, she was real, and now she's dead, and now she's a ghost. <laughs> You're like, it's that's so odd it's it's funny you say that because we said the exact same stuff we were like mate because we were like oh shit we're like maybe abigail is like the uh yeah. the dead baby the stillborn one but it grew up as a ghost and we thought that and then when we found out that it was a real girl it was like okay two things that's pretty cool that abigail wasn't a ghost it's like that was a that's a nice twist but then at the same time it's like yo dudley's you know this house is straight evil <laughs> go fucking anywhere else in the world just go anywhere be like they're already just caretakers just like go move somewhere and be in like a custodian at some building like you know <laughs> we're gonna work at a gym or uh <laughs> go do anything else yeah. like work I, an I, apartment I, building watch it and watch out for else. mold yeah so uh yeah there's stuff like that that even when we were watching we're like mm, i don't know <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So those are my uh, thoughts and feelings and frustrations with Haunting of Hillos. Because there's some uh, there's some really nice gestures in there. There's yeah. some like good stuff. Uh, Steven's like a piece of shit. Um, that guy sucks hard. Yeah. He he's like just like a, so annoying as like a person. Like not the actor, but I mean the actor is nothing special. But like the character, the, Thrones the, guy. the character is just not given a lot to to do, and so he's just like just yelling and pissed mm-hmm. off at everybody and you're like what a dick like no one likes you you're wrong on everything mm-hmm. he's yep. just there to be a piece of shit yeah and then to send it all home and everyone's happy except people mm-hmm. are dead which people 
Uh, people. All of them? Sure. Well, I'm glad you watched it. Uh, you're you're a little more positive than I thought you would be. Um, I did think you would like it. Uh, and then when you were watching, I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, maybe Jared won't like this show. Jared doesn't like shows sometimes. <laughs> but uh, I think you have very valid criticisms and concerns. Mm-hmm. But uh, I am glad, if anything, I'm glad that you can appreciate the uh, the wickedness that is episode four. Luke versus the tall man that is drug addiction because mm-hmm. uh, that's good stuff. Yep. I like it. Yep. That was the, stuff. that was the highlight and the Nell episode was good. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, whatever long takes um, they're They're there. Well, that that was, one's, it's, it's fine, right? Like that's fine. It wasn't bad, fine. but it's like, Oh, okay. That was good. And then, then yeah. after that, it's like kind of uh, deflates and never lives mm-hmm. up to that ever again. And then you get to the end and you're just like, Ugh. I don't know that last episode really, it takes on too much, I think, and it just doesn't look like a Stephen King story. I got you. So I'm going to hit you with one thing real quick, and okay. this is spoiler. So if anyone hasn't seen it, just jump ahead a minute. <laughs> there is – so the actor who plays Luke – so, okay, the way that you watched it, did you take the ending as everything that you were seeing was literal in the sense where it was like, yeah, this is what's really happening? I, or did you take it the other way where it's like they're still there? Um, I took it as w- literal, I guess. So so did we. But the guy who plays Luke, he's like, he's like, well, he's like, when I watched it, he's like, I thought we were still just in the red room. And people are like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, just look at the way that the scene is framed. It's like it doesn't have that window that. Mm-hmm the room did yep. in all of them, but it has a picture that's like in the shape of the window basically. And then the birthday or the cake, the sobriety cake that he has is red. So there's like all these like allusions to the red room, like, or all these like little hints to it. So that guy's like, no, he's like, I'm pretty sure we're still there. He's like, so everyone who says it's a happy ending, he's like, I don't know where, where that came from. Well, I mean, it would be, I guess still a happy ending, but who cares? Yeah. I mean, even if they're <laughs> still in there, they're, uh, they're at peace. Yeah. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. It would just be like, who cares? Who, if the point, yeah. point, it's like, who cares? Yeah. Oh, is Decker really a, a, an android? Who cares? I don't who care. Cares? I don't care. Is it good? Doesn't give a shit. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad you watched it. And that's that, I guess. Mattress Man. Hey, RJ. Unless you have more to say. You got what? any news? Did you hear that Filmstruck is shutting down? Yeah, uh, I think uh, I heard about that last week from some podcast. Oh, some hack podcast that doesn't know how to report the news, maybe. Mm, Days later. Well, did you hear what they're doing instead? Is that your news? Uh, That was one of my bits of news, but yeah. Well, why don't you cover it? The Criterion Channel, RJ. Available in... Maybe. Where? Maybe. They're looking into it. U.S. and Canada? Yeah, that's right. They say? That's right. No VPNs required. They say? They say. But, okay, so this is is the big uh, stick in the mud when it comes to any sort of uh, announcement of a live streaming platform Mm -hmm. is, sure, you can get it, like Shudder, but is there an app that allows you to actually experience it using your fucking 
thousand dollar plus like television system TV. without plugging in your laptop or iPad. Doubtful. Yeah, this is the thing. So uh, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, you can watch shit and pay for it and watch it on your laptop. It's like, well, I can do that right now. It doesn't cost me anything. So mm-hmm. you you better uh, throw me a bone here. Come on, folks. And this is the thing. It, but it's, it's so expensive. I am not optimistic that this thing's going to last very long because a lot of people have come along to start up their own like streaming platforms and then they start them and they're always like buggy as hell and nobody can get them to work because it's not easy. You have to be Netflix, a billion dollar company or whatever <laughs> to like manage this stuff. Um, Criterion is going to have the advantage of being smaller, but boy, I bet you the first like few weeks of that is going to be a nightmare. Like, Because I mean, they're mm-hmm. like, they're, they're going to regret this. Um, because I'm, imagine with Filmstruck, it was kind of uh, hands off when it came to uh, the technical stuff, but now they're taking it on, and I'm like, uh, we'll see. I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's cool. Uh, I'm glad that uh, something's going to replace it because I don't know. Being on Hulu definitely doesn't doesn't do me any good. But uh, hopefully this will turn out to be the best form that it possibly can. But it might take a while to get there, and hopefully it lasts long enough to get there. I don't know, Jarrett. Like <sighs> we have Canopy too, which kind of is like half a Criterion channel. Uh, we do. It's it's like I said once. It's like the president's choice of of Filmstruck. Because it has some stuff on there, but it's it's not not a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we actually have it and it is available on in Canada, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. But uh, we'll see. And if it is available in Canada, that doesn't benefit our multi-cultural, uh, global, international fans. Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, they'll they'll still be able to get, use VPNs to get access to it, like they were doing with Filmstruck. Do you think they will though? Uh, well, at least one person will. What is he gonna do? Uh, do what he did before, as talked about on this podcast in emails. Oh, is that incriminating in any way? No. Oh, okay. It's not like people aren't getting paid. <laughs> well, who's getting paid? Uh, Filmstruck was whoever owns whatever Filmstruck was. I don't know. Who cares? Hey, RJ, Criterion also had their February 2019 announcements of releases. I didn't see this at all. This was last week, right after we recorded. Mm -hmm. Uh, what do we got here? We got this film called To Sleep with Anger, directed by Charles Burnett. I know nothing about this film. We have La Verte. Directed by Henry Georges Clouseau, who brought us such classics as Le Diabolique and uh, Wages of Fear. Mm, is that a good movie? I don't know. We're going to find out in a few months. Uh, and in a few months? Yeah, in February. Well, not for the show, though. Well, We're uh, going to find out in like, like 18 ten, years. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and then Death in Venice. Directed by Lucino Visconti, who directed that the Leopard movie that uh, Martin Scorsese likes so much. I don't know anything about Death in Venice. Uh, I know the uh, the Blu-ray cover of this isn't so hot, but that uh, La Verte cover is pretty sweet, pretty nice. Are you talking uh, about La Ventura? We did that movie already, dude. Uh, yeah, this it wasn't was, good. <laughs> no, it's a different movie. Oh, okay. 
and then we got a Blu-ray release of Berlin Alexanderplatz, which is cool. That's a also a television series like Haunting of Hill House, but is like 14 hours long. Um, and uh, I don't know. I've been wanting to watch this before. It's Fast Bender. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I was going to buy the DVD, so I'm glad I didn't do that because the Blu-ray will cost the exact same. And then we got that. Sh- we got Shame, directed by Ingmar Bergman. That's probably in the. Actually, it is in the Bergman collection, but now it's being released a la carte by itself. But uh, again, one day we'll watch it. Eighteen years yeah, from now, I won't be here anymore. You'll be on your third co-host by then. Yeah, I might have died of pneumonia by then. Um. Well, you have had it twice. Not during the show, just, though. Just once. What was the second time? Fixing things. What do you mean? <laughs> oh my God, well, didn't I, 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 didn't I, that happen twice? No, I had it once. The complications hey, wait, didn't. Wait a res- oh my God. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, Jared, I'm gonna kill you. Oh my God, Archie, pay attention. I don't want to. Anyways, hey, what? Let's let's move on. We got a movie hey, to talk about. Sound boring. We got. I I know it's pretty lackluster month. Where, where, where's the where's the Night of the Living Dead? Like last February, huh? <laughs> After the break, more fart noises. Things are going to get wet. Oof! I don't like what you did there. Tell me there were mysteries. This man had a dream, a forbidden vision that becomes a living nightmare. What are dreams? The way of knowing things. Dream is a shadow of something real. Why don't you go away? You'll die. I can't go away. 
the makers of Picnic at Hanging Rock bring a new dimension to mystery and suspense. Deep beneath the city lies a secret guarded by primeval terrors beyond imagination. Stop it. Your dreams will never be the same again. And we're back. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast, and tonight we're talking about The Last Wave, directed by Peter Weir, directed in 1977. And the tagline from the film, Hasn't the weather been strange? Could it be a warning? And that's in all caps, so I should have shouted it, I guess. Mm. And the synopsis here from Letterboxd. White Australian lawyer David Burton agrees with reluctance to defend a group of Aborigines charged with murdering one of their own. He suspects the victim was targeted Mm. for violating a tribal taboo, but the defendants deny any tribal association. Burton, plagued by apocalyptic visions of water, slowly realizes danger may come from his own involvement with the Aborigines and their prophecies. So, hey, Peter Weir, mm. the big Australian dog, returns. I wonder what uh, they do in Australia when they make movies. What they do? All, mm-hmm. s- all sorts of things. They go to the desert, go to that, mm-hmm. go to the outback. That wasn't Peter Weir, though. Is Nick Rogue Australian? Nah, I, don't, I don't know. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, we're back with Peter Weir, our bud. Our friend who made one of, I think, both of our lowest movies in The Creep so far. Maybe not both. It's definitely in the bottom of mine. Yeah. That but uh, hey, Peter Weir's made and, uh, better movies. Well, no, walk then, well yeah, I know. It's Nick Rogue. I know. But yeah. I think that one's lower than uh, Picnic and Hanging Rock. Picnic and, yeah. Which I would describe as a disappointment. Um, but Peter Weir also directs some uh, all-time classics. Mm-hmm. And a lot of middling fare that, you know, people go, oh, yeah, he directed that too. But let's not talk about that. Like Green Card. <laughs> and I don't know, Witness ain't so great either. I'm he- more on his side than not. But, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's got some stinkers. Yeah. For well, sure. let's talk about The Last Wave here. So this All is right. a second sure. time watch for me. Uh, first time I watched this was only about six years ago too. Um, hmm. So one thing, RJ, that I just realized yeah. today while preparing for this episode, mm-hmm. um, and I actually think has been a missed opportunity on this podcast, is commenting what? on the covers of the DVDs of the films that we're covering. Um, so I think mm-hmm. like one of the things that like, I think why maybe this is struck me now is this is the when this movie came out on DVD back in like 
2002 or something like that. Mm -hmm. This was like at the height when I started buying movies. I was going to stores and I'd see these movies like The Last Wave. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Um, I'm like, I know who Peter Weir is. He directed The Truman Show. I love that movie. And then you look at this Mm -hmm. and you go, oh, I don't know. I've almost been like $42.99 on something totally blind. That's a lot of money. Um, But the one thing that like Criterion uh, kind of, I don't know. I think what brings people's attention to Criterion is the design of their covers. And uh, I was thinking about like, what do these covers say about this movie? So I think maybe beginning here, we'll uh, kind of talk about that. I don't know if you've actually looked at the DVD cover for this or not. Is it different from the letterboxed poster? Yes. That is the theatrical version, which is that bluey purple cover with the wave in uh, Richard Chamberlain's head. With the quote, I just want to read this real quick. An eerie chiller to tingle your scalp yeah. and titillate your mind. Uh, I believe the U.S. title. Heavy stuff. The U.S. title for this film is like uh, Black Rain. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> yeah. it, it, it wasn't going to get distributed, and they uh, All right. got picked up years later, and it's like, let's give it a real cool title, like Black Rain. It's We're going to make it hot. Something like that, yeah. Uh, but anyway, pull up that uh, cover. So you just type All in right. La- Last Wave I'm, Criteria. Yeah, I am on it. I'm you're, you're on good, it. You... Beauty. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so with me, so I'm looking at this cover, and it's like, hey, this is a mysterious cover. It's a man facing off against an unseen force. Uh, for some reason, oh, it's got you. sort of this like goldy kind of bronzy look to it, desaturated. What's this all about? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that seems accurate to the, the viewing experience. Do you also have access to the back of the cover? Uh, not on my desk, but I do in my if you... room. Google it. Yeah, you can see it. Uh, it is our leading Aborigine man uh, in the vision where he's holding the stone. Mm. Uh, that's a pretty cool back cover, man. Yeah, the uh, text is placed uh, to wrap around the important images, and uh, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that, Jared. They took a little <laughs> extra care to make it so it looked nice, and they didn't just like break down a bunch of text right over a good picture yeah one of the saddest things um about kind of paying attention to things like design is nowadays when you look at modern dvd blu-rays for the people who still buy this shit um it's soul crushing seeing the design elements that they like just like every decision now Mm -hmm. i think for me the all-time iconic bad uh DVD cover was the truth about Charlie, the uh, American remake of Charade with uh, Marky Mark. That that cover to me is like everything I hate about design. And uh, so, and it's with like I think the it, Eiffel it, Tower yeah. and <laughs> blue light coming out. And is his head photoshopped yeah, onto that turtleneck pro- sweater? Probably. What is that? Probably because that's what everything looks like now. And it's in fact that cover, that cover is actually probably great now compared to what's come since. But that was like for me, he, like. Uh, a real demarcation of like the fall of like graphic design uh, mm-hmm. in like movie posters when selling things. But it, Jared, it's from the director of the silence of the lambs. That's two connections to the criterion collection. Yeah. Well, and Jonathan Demi's dead now. So, well, maybe he had it coming with for that poster. Yeah. I'm sure he had a lot to do with it. Um, but yeah, but now you go, I so saw the other week, uh, this is like, has nothing to do with the last wave. Uh, I went to Best Buy and, uh, I hadn't been for like months, months and months because I just stopped 
going because anything I want to buy, uh, it's like boutique titles from like these studios like Vinegar Syndrome and like Criterion, mm -hmm. and none of that stuff shows up in Best Buy in Canada. So I just kind of stopped going, and anything remotely mainstream, I would just order on Amazon. Uh, I went to Best Buy to look at TVs, and they just don't sell physical media at all anymore. It's just gone. DVDs, Blu-rays, uh, TV sets, all mm. just are like they have like tiny little shelf at now. At Best Buy, at Best Buy, it's just empty. They have like mm. they have like an area for video games and stuff like that still. But sure. man, that was sad. That that really uh, better hurt go me. to Amazon. Pretty much, it's 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 more niche than ever physical media. Mm -hmm. Anyways, um. Uh, so mm -hmm. here, uh, this film, uh, I feel like it succeeds where Picnic at Hanging Rock fails for me. Uh, mm -hmm. It is an Aust it's an Australian film uh, mm -hmm. dealing with the relationship of white colonists um, mm -hmm. and uh, Australia as this kind of like weird, mysterious place with this history that predates itself, um, and it does everything more succinctly. Which seems like a weird way to describe Last Wave, because I'm sure a lot of people would not describe this as a succinct film. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, this movie. First time I watched this, I like loved this movie. I like this movie yeah. hit me in all the right ways. It's just like it didn't feel like a lot of other films. Um, the visuals and uh, the poetry of some of the visuals and stuff like Ooh, that. Scenery, fancy. The, the creation of atmosphere, like genuine atmosphere, not in the way that sometimes mm -hmm. people kind of say oh it's really atmospheric like i mean this movie like is full on creating that like constantly mm -hmm. and it's like you have these like really great visuals uh especially when it comes to the use of water which i mean <laughs> duh uh it's, yeah. it's, it's throughout this movie there's like the one that like starts things off like so it's like it opens up with that rural setting um mm -hmm. Out in the country with like uh, Aboriginal people like living on basically like kind of like reserve kind of land almost like out in the middle of nowhere. And then you get like kind of the the white kids running around. You get the big storm at the school and you just have like stuff where like hailstones just are flying through windows with terrified goats. Um, mm -hmm. And then it transitions to the city and you're still getting freaky weather um, and this like downpour of water. And there's this one scene uh, where a guy with an umbrella is like at a water fountain drinking water as it just is pouring rain. And it's just like, it's such an absurd shot that I'm mm -hmm. like, man, it's like so obvious. And like, I, I never get anything like that out of any contemporary movie or anything I watch where you're just like, that's so weird. Like what a mm -hmm. great little moment that is. And then you get later on and you get two shots of this. Uh, whenever we're at uh, David Burton's house, we're like outside of his house. You have this pouring rain and you have this shot of this like faucet, like an outdoor mm -hmm. tap. And it's like, it looks like it's running, but there's just so much water running off of it that it's just pouring out. And it's just like this crazy image of like water. And it's just like, yeah. it's unnecessary because it's like natural, but we've had to create these things to like irrigate it, to make it habitable by people. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it sums up this movie really, really well. Um, and so this movie is just filled with stuff like that, like just mm -hmm. packed with imagery like this. Um, as far as the story goes, I mean, it's, it's pretty well exactly what the synopsis says. Uh, David Burton here, played by Richard Chamberlain. He's a corporate taxation lawyer um, mm -hmm. who gets tapped to handle a four-man homicide trial. <laughs> and it's kind of mm -hmm. like, it's, it's uh, purposefully contrived because that's yeah. kind of how the story has to go because of the prophecy, I guess, of it. Um, if you like, kind of, or fall into like the mysticism of this film, um, mm -hmm. and it just kind of goes along with this whole uh, direction of him figuring out why he's having these dreams, 
what's his relationship with Chris Lee, uh, played by uh, David uh, Gop- Gopili? Christopher Lee? Chris, oh, just Chris, please. Um, oh, okay. Who, who, Sorry. Yeah, who we last saw in uh, Walkabout. He was in Walkabout. Oh. I thought he looked familiar, and I was like, why does he look familiar? I'm not going to look into it. I don't want to be a weird dude. No. If um, you follow. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the story just follows like, yeah, it's kind of, it never feels like a courtroom drama, even though there's mm-hmm. like, and there's only one real scene of like uh, powdered wigs and stuff like that. And uh... <laughs> I, I, sorry, that shit is so lame. I think it's so stupid. Those powdered court courtroom wigs. I understand the prestige and the heritage and all that nice history to those things. But it's like, did anyone ever like look at what it it looked like when you were wearing those things? Because I feel like if you did, you would maybe be more on the side where you're just like, you know what? Let's just kind of be normal. Let's not wear <laughs> wigs when we go into the courtroom, I guess. Anyways, yeah, I keep going. But yeah, uh, courtroom wigs are super lame. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, so this is a random comment, but it's like, so this movie, uh, I'll throw out there, this really reminded me a lot of Blade Runner. Um, okay. I don't know if something about those urban scenes, like the way they're shot with the congested traffic and stuff like that and the rain, because that's also mm-hmm. a movie that's very rainy. But this movie actually shot a lot during the, or at least those shots are shot in the middle of the day, which is also why it's kind of off-putting. Um, anyway, yeah, so those visuals of the water. Um, mm-hmm. There's also the amazing shot of people floating in water. Um, that we'll probably talk about more. That's like super, like kind of like wow. That's like a yeah, really, like that. That's pretty good. Um, and then yeah, it just kind of builds. There's this whole element of the film that like I found always strange. This this refusal of like so many of the characters that there's like no such thing as like tribal Aborigines in the city. And I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. not Australian. I don't get why there why that wouldn't be possible. Um, maybe like. In 1977, this was like kind of more of a thing, but now it's like, you know, in the world of like, there's so much urban fantasy stories that this seems like, well, yeah, of course that's possible. Like, why, why are we ruling it out? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always been, an, that's an odd thing watching this movie through again, where it's like, oh, I can't believe that. But it's just like, okay, dumb, dumb white people, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if I love this movie as much as I did the first time I watched it a few, uh, a few years ago. Like, I think it was like really up my alley. Cause I was thinking about this sort of stuff more at the time, but mm-hmm. I still like really, really like this movie. Um, it's Peter Weir doing a lot of what he's best at, which is like always been kind of the, uh, the atmosphere stuff that uh, mm-hmm. people talk about. Um, I think it, the story in this is far more engaging than Picnic at Hanging Rock. Um, mm-hmm. Most because it's not played by that second half uh, <sighs> drag of the thing. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, last week, like, and I, the, the end of this movie, I think, is really awesome. Uh, it's just like mm-hmm. packed full of strangeness and it's super memorable. And uh, yeah, it's like what I, the one thing I think about whenever I think about this movie is that final shot. Uh, and this movie is just packed with great imagery. And it's like, I don't know. Most movies can't say they have anything like that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, RJ, what, what did what? you think of The Last Wave? I'm curious as to what you think I thought of The Last Wave. Because we haven't talked about this at all, so you have no idea what my my takeaway was. Mm, I think that you would like this film. Mm. Why do you say that? 
why do I say that? <laughs> yeah, elaborate for me. I don't know. <laughs> you can do the David Lynch. You can just say no if you want. <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Bu- believe it or not, primary colors are bullshit. Elaborate yeah. on that. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, I like this movie. Yeah. Uh, I do. Uh, it's got a lot of stuff that I think is really cool. Um, and I'll I'll explain that. Uh, I don't love this movie, but I do like a lot of what this movie achieves and a lot of what it's trying to. I think there's a few things that I would have liked better if they had done it. But, uh, I mean, who am I to say? I don't make movies in Australia, so whatever. But I'm going to tell you about them anyways. Um, My biggest thing when I was watching this, it really reminded me of uh, Take Shelter. And not just because of, like, apocalyptic visions, but uh, it was more about when you're following this main character who is kind of going down this one path and there's people who kind of aren't really along with him. And I was like, Ooh shit. I was like, I like that. I I wish I would have had time to watch take shelter again and see if it actually lined up or if that was just my memory playing tricks on me, but we'll never know. Uh, so anyways, there's, uh, um, there's actually another Peter Weir movie, uh, mosquito coast. Okay. And uh, it's actually like very Take Shelter-ish with Harrison mm-hmm. Ford. Um, yeah, so that's interesting Makes that sense. You, you, make, you mentioned that. Well, maybe uh, what's his nuts who did Take Shelter, the guy who did Mud and stuff, maybe he is a big Peter Weir fan. Wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be crazy. Probably. Probably. But yeah, no, uh, I like The Last Wave. Uh, I, uh, for a lot of the same reasons that like you brought up, that atmosphere that creeping dread, uh, that stuff I think is done so, so well where there, there's really, really subtle, um, like really nice, subtle shots in this movie where he doesn't like, he doesn't cut away too fast. He doesn't linger on for too long, but it's, it's an appropriate amount of time. And that, that might sound weird, but I feel like so often, especially in new movies, mm-hmm. they'll either they'll cut away too fast or they'll stay way, way too long. And it's like you don't need to do either of those things. There yeah. is a right amount of time. And I think this movie really nails that. So when you were talking about the intro with uh, like all the connections to water, uh, the one that I really, really liked is when a dude, when boyfriend comes home and he's eating dinner with his family. Uh, which is another scene that I actually really like. Like when they present that scene and uh, the parents are both cutting the dinner for the kids. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why, I was like, I really I really like that. I was like, I like the look of that. It seems authentic. It seems like a real parent thing to be doing. But uh, when they're eating dinner and the bathtub overflows and then they go up to like see what's going on uh, and the dad puts his hand in to kind of clear the drain And then the water is draining down through or the water is like coming down through the drain and it's making that spiral as it drains. And his hand is just kind of there and he's feeling the water drain Mm -hmm. through the tub. Uh, I think that's for me, that was the most effective scene of that where they're they're highlighting the connection between the water. And it's the, the perfect amount of time. And then it's, RJ, he winds up like, going into the into the sewage. He goes into the drain, yeah. So I think that scene, uh, that's my favorite scene. It's like five seconds long or something. But I feel like new movies would show that for a second and then jump away. Or they would show it for way too long, for like 12 <laughs> seconds. And you'd be like, all right, I get it. But it, it's just, it's right in the middle. It's like five seconds and the point gets across. 
So I, I really, uh, I really like that. Yeah, I feel like a, a lot of contemporary film take a lot of the wrong lessons from Peter Weir and Terrence Malick <laughs> because yeah. they like let's extend it longer <laughs> so people really get it, and it's just like oh, because it's like more uh, contemplative that way. And it's just like nope, there's a right amount of time. And it's learn, like well, learn to learn to edit, you motherfucker. Well, Terrence Malick had this ten minute shot. That's pretty good. We could probably do fourteen. It's like, all right, sure, whatever. Uh, no, yeah, I think I think they do a really good job at letting it breathe. I think is a thing people say about stuff sometimes. You know, you really let it breathe. You unpack it a little bit, uh, but it's not too much. Um, going back when while we're on the water thing, when you brought up the guy who's drinking water out of the water fountain, that is the nastiest ass water fountain I've ever seen because the water shoots straight up. So to drink out of that, you have to like go over it, but your mouth is going to be like sloshing down onto the water fountain and all your dirty ass mouth is going to get in that thing. I'm talking about it, Jarrett. I know you don't care about germs, but I, I can, I can promise you there's someone out there listening to this podcast that has the same phobias of germs that I do. And when they watch this movie, they're going to be like, ugh. Like you might as well put your whole mouth like right into on the fucking water fountain. It's like you never watch Parks and Rec, but some people will know they have a water fountain problem where they just everyone in their town puts their entire mouth <laughs> over the water fountain. Uh-huh. And that's what I was thinking about with this. And it's just like, ugh, ugh. Uh, so I hate that shit. Um, but I like this movie. Uh, so I really like the understated shot, uh, the understated filming. It's nice. It takes its time getting there, but it, it establishes this atmosphere and this mood in a really effective way. Um, I think that uh, Chud Christopher Reeves is pretty good as the lead. Um, when I was watching this, I was like, I feel like they wanted Christopher Reeves, but he's not Australian. So they got this and, guy and, who's and like... neither is Richard Chamberlain. Oh, well, you could have fooled me. But uh, I feel like they did want Christopher Reeves, and it was like, well... We can't get him. We'll just get some guy who's kind of like him, but not totally like him. Uh, what else did I like about this movie? Uh, I like some of the dialogue in this thing. I think it's really good where when a dude comes to the dinner house and he's like, oh, this is uh, Charlie. And because he brings a guest to the dinner party he was invited to. And they're like, oh, is Charlie a relative? And uh, he's like, oh, no, he's a painter. Uh, I don't know why I thought that was really funny. I was like, that's that's sharp. Some dry humor right there. Uh, and then there's another thing that I really like when they're talking about the uh, the dream world and the guys like talking about past lives and walking between like uh, dreams and reality. And he says that that one guy is uh, from another sunrise. I don't know what a, I don't know why, but I thought that was really beautiful, Jared. He really spoke to me in a, yeah. in a in a sweet way. I was like, "Oh, what a sweet little moment in this movie." That's it's well, like you're from another sunrise because there was a lot of talk of sunrise and sunset for like the tribal uh, connections yeah. and stuff like well, that. Like, but yeah, there's the whole thing like the whole dream time thing. That's like kind of the <laughs> thing that I think a lot of um, uh, European writers, in particular, uh, they really are into that idea. I mean, I've I've been attracted to it too because it's just like this weird idea of that like when people read about some of the things like when some of that information those that secret information Mm -hmm. comes about uh when you find out about like 
death bones and the fact that like Aborigines like talking about, oh yeah, no, I've been to the moon. We went there like 50,000 years ago. And like, you're like, what do you mean? It's like, yeah, <laughs> like they're, that, that's their science is like dream Can you science. elaborate? That, that's literally what I'm saying. Yeah. Like this is like. Yeah, I know. Yeah. They're, uh, so yeah, there's like a, there's sort of like a poetry in this uh, worldview that I think mm-hmm. is what's so appealing about it. Um, and that's what, I, you know, when you have uh, Peter Weir making movies like this, and he mm-hmm. talks, and he talks about like he, I was watching one of the special features of this, and he was talking about his like watching this movie now. He's kind of like, oh man, I don't know if I should have made this movie. And like it was really important that the um, the actor who plays Charlie, um, he's like mm-hmm. kind of like this like elder in the community, and getting him involved in signing off on this story mm-hmm. and representing it was really important to him. And he did. Mm-hmm. He he went. They they were fine with it and stuff like that. But I, uh, as we'll talk about uh, later on about people's uh, bones to pick with this film, uh, <laughs> you know, there'll be some people who are just like that's just not good enough. Uh, hey, so uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I didn't know that they went through the appropriate channels for that, uh, but because we live in North America and in Canada in Alberta, when I was watching this movie. Uh, I felt a pretty heavy uh, connection to indigenous people from our area and the way that they're treated and the way that their culture is kind of interpreted to and perceived like to the way that it is in the last wave. I thought a lot of it was really familiar to me mm-hmm. where it's like you're watching it and you're like, man. That's in Australia. Oh boy! This is how they treat their like the RJ. You, you, you got you got to watch yourself some uh, rabbit-proof fence, and uh, uh, I'll watch. Get, get, I'll get, watch get, you got to get woke, brother. You got to get to the treatment of uh, indigenous people all across the world during the uh, the days of colon, uh, colonizing. I, I am aware. <laughs> it's real, aware. real nasty bit of work. Yeah, uh, I'm. I think I. I think I. I. I know what's going on. Or I know what happened for the most of it, but uh, no, it's just, it's funny watching it. And there's so much stuff where we're like, hmm, that's what we do here. Yep. Like, <laughs> all the way across, like completely across the world. We're, it's like, we're it's all, the same wait, we're, stuff. We're, we're all in the Commonwealth. And I mean, America's yep. not, but uh, fuck, you could argue who's treated uh, indigenous people worse. It's a, uh, it's a real race to the bottom there. Um, one of the big moments for me was, uh, reading, uh, Bury My Heart Wounded Knee, uh, mm-hmm. years ago. Boy, that book made me fucking mad. Like, it, it's just amazing just how awful, um, uh, the governments have been, like any government, like, uh, I mean, yeah. and in, and in, in the country, like being raised in Canada, you don't really, uh, you don't hear about it too much in the school system. You, you don't, but in my, uh, my current, uh, endeavors learning about it's these getting, things. Yeah. It is getting very, very heavy attention Yes, where it's uh, that truth and reconciliation is like one of the like pillars of education that they're trying to put throughout all of Canada where it's like, hey, you know what? We should probably teach kids that until about like 15 years ago, we were still like carting off indigenous people in cattle trucks making like forcing them to do whatever we said and then like putting through putting them through like these like unbelievably horrible things and it's like yeah you should they should probably know that like that's what happened sure that the like when i was going to school i'm pretty sure the kids i was going to school with were like the first generation of like kids 
that not were, in residential that were not that were not going to residential schools. schools. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And they were being raised by people who uh, had their entire culture and life taken away from them. Because <laughs> yeah. cultural genocide is fun. Well, it makes yeah. waves, Jarrett. Yeah. It makes waves. Last, yeah. last waves. Oh, uh, I don't want to get too far off topic. If yeah. anyone's interested, you can uh, you can contact us. But uh, yeah, yeah we, we have a I lot just, of uh, listeners from the from colonies too. Yeah, yeah, lots of them. We can see how their colonies treated their indigenous people. <laughs> really great, <but laughs> really great. But yeah, it's about it's about reconciliation, Jared. So I just I thought it was uh, while watching it, I was making those connections to myself. But I, I liked what you were talking about when you were talking about uh, kind of denial of tradition, where they're talking they're talking about the tribal people. And it's like, oh, there's no tribal people in this city. And it is weird. It's like, what do you mean? But it's, it's it must be something specific yeah. to the culture. And you're like, all right, well, I never like questioned it. It never put me out of it. No, I, I did think it was weird. I was like, oh, that's weird. I was like, that must be some kind of Australian thing. But yeah. the whole time watching uh, with all that, I was like, oh, man, pretty heavy connections to uh, our real world. Uh, and then I, I kind of like. Not in a bad way. I just kind of thought it was funny some of the ways that they presented their uh, Aborigine people. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's funny. I was like, that must just be, again, an Australian thing where like there's scenes where uh, our lead man, uh, our lead white man who is in like a suit and tie walking around. Big Dave. And then you have your, yeah, Big Dave. And then you have our lead Aborigine man and he's like shirtless with a cowboy hat mm-hmm. and they're just walking around downtown and he's got like a leather coat. And I was like, oh, it's so urban cowboy chic, like homeless man, like no shirt, cowboy hat walking around. We get that here sometimes. They're not as attractive as uh, or fit as the Aborigine <laughs> as man. Chris? Uh, not a, yeah, not as crisp. But uh, I do like their presentation that of him as like, shirtless aboriginal horsemen of the the apocalypse mm-hmm. uh i like that i dig that a lot Jarrett. um what else did i like uh yeah like the for the foreboding ambiguity ambiguity jesus <laughs> the foreboding ambiguity <laughs> Can you tell that like my days are longer now when we podcast because I'm like, I can't tell the difference. You can't tell. Good. Good. The foreboding ambiguity ambiguity. of things, ambiguity of things that are like imposing on them. Uh, That's the kind of stuff that I really like. I love the dream world. I love the way that uh, they kind of show it. So the only thing about this movie, Jared, that I kind of like only like soft criticisms is that, I want more of what they're doing where it's like, yeah, maybe if they did more, it would be too much. Uh, and I don't want like them to explain stuff more. Like I don't need any of that, but when they start to get into it, it's like, they're kind of going, they're going and then they're there. That's how it kind of felt with me. And, uh, I was like, I just, I would like a little bit more flush it out a little bit more for me. I want to see this dream world, with the white man and the aborigine man staring oh. at each other with like no score and they're just like staring at each other they're just looking at rocks and i'm like yeah this is some uh clive barker shit right you, here you want with all these you, tribal you, want, you want lasagna cat Ooh, i do like lasagna cat you want the, the one te- that te- i saw telephone sex survey the one that i saw hey do you know that's uh my most popular review on letterboxd i'm aware yeah I'm uh, I'm pretty proud of that. That's what you want. You want that last 15 minutes of that 
as the last yeah. wave, though. True, true. So, uh, no, yeah, I think the last wave is pretty cool, pretty good. Uh, I don't love it, but uh, I do like it. I think it's a good show. I like it. You know what I mean? Nope. Uh, that's fine. You never know what I mean. <laughs> is it because I don't make sense, or is it because I, I say things like ambiguity? Um, yeah, have another drink there. <laughs> this is water. Oh, sure. It's carbonated, if that helps. Fine. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I think the movie Good gives show. you as much information as you need. needs to do. Because if you go mm-hmm. above and beyond that, then you wind up making a fantasy film. And I don't what do you know mean? If, well, it's just like I don't know. Like when you're when you're talking about like more scenes in the dream time or whatever, I'm kind of like ah, but they, 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 they don't want to do that though. They want to keep their yeah. uh, they don't want to play into that too much because I don't think even the filmmakers know mm-hmm. what, what the story is that they're making. They're telling like an incomplete story, kind of intentionally. Mm-hmm. Would be my that's my vibe of it, and like it, and it adds again to the mystery. It's kind of like an unsolvable thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then like you know when you're mentioning earlier like the the way that the um, the water spout in the water is mm-hmm. kind of draining down and his hands floating above it. And I went, oh, yeah, because this story winds up in the sewer in this, like, uh, secret, like, ceremony, like, cave, uh, which mm-hmm. I, I, it's just, like, kind of, like, it keeps building, and none of it really is going to make sense. It's just kind of, it's an unsolvable story. And mm-hmm. then, I mean, then you get to that, the final shot of, uh, of David Burton making his, like, final uh, journey out of the, like, this trap that he's in, he has to emerge out of shit, out of human feces covered in crap. <laughs> and he walks out onto a beach and you see some people surfing. And I'm like, oh, all these people are surfing like a mirror, like probably a hundred feet from just raw sewage, uh, emptying out into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and then which shit scene do you prefer this one or, uh, Shawshank Redemption? Uh, well, he gets to have a, a rain shower after he emerges and then he mm. but he doesn't get an apocalyptic vision uh or or does he see or, or, does, does, or does he or does he get the the real deal does he does he get mm-hmm. uh the big one the last wave uh, yeah i feel you anyways yeah i know i think that for me i would like some of that stuff but uh, it's like I said, I think it's a really fine line where you'd get to. It's like when we talk about horror all the time in the preambles, it's like some horror movies just don't know what to do. And then they do too much of the stuff that they shouldn't. And I feel like the dream world would be very easy to do that. But uh, I don't know. I like mm, the dream world. I, feel I like, like living in the dream world. I feel like it's pretty consistent. Uh, I feel it's a good use of it because it's very restrained. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like what you're asking would come along later after this it's movie fine. was made, I think. Cause I think like other movies would do this now. Um, and I think like for taking this film on its terms mm-hmm. being made in 1977 and, uh, what it was going for, I think it's like exactly the scale that you would expect for it at the time. That's how I, that's how I'm thinking about this one. Um, like now it's like, if this movie was made, like there's actually a movie that, um, I kind of put into the same ballpark as this movie. It's called The Shout. And it's this completely mm-hmm. underseen movie just because, at least like in Region 1 land, because it is on DVD in the UK. Um, it's a British film. And it's about uh, kind of like 
dark magicians and sound artists and like mm. weird kind of sense of spells, but it's so stripped down and so minimal. Um, mm. And I, I love, like I watched this movie and I was like, holy crap, this movie's incredible. And no one knows about it. Uh, I watched it? it. I watched it on my laptop with headphones and like, yeah. and, which was like a total coincidence fluke. Cause it worked out watching this movie about sound recording, watching mm. it with headphones was a really good idea. And I, I have a copy of it on, on DVD, but it's, region b or whatever so you can't even mm-hmm. lend it out to friends so that's always a, a kick in the pants a kick but where a kick in those pants oh uh, so this film kind of like for me kind of resembles like this sort of a network of movies of like dark sorcerers and like applying them to like kind of the real world in this kind of mm-hmm. uh, minimal sense like it, it doesn't go overboard uh films like dust devil um parts of um Lord of Illusions, like the good mm-hmm. part, the first like 10, 15 minutes, which I think kind of delves closer to maybe what you're suggesting, which is like mm-hmm. cool, but it's kind of before that type of movie was being made. I gotcha. Um, and then there's like stuff like, uh, there's another movie, even like Curse of the Demon. Um, mm-hmm. Just like that idea of like, or uh, one of my, my favorite pulp movies, uh, Devil Rides Out, where you're yeah. kind of like, you're trying to be restrained. Like that movie's like kind of more, like it's a horror, hammer horror kind of thing. And this film is like the art house version of those stories um, mm-hmm. where it's kind of like, it's it's Peter Weird making it. Like he's not going to make that like uh, kind of fantasy movie. He's going to make mm-hmm. something that's like kind of ripped in like reality. And there's like, oh, this guy could just be hallucinating. And it's like, none of it's real. And it's very much has its foot in that. It's not trying to go outside of that but it's like going to still populate it with that dream time stuff that is really appealing that i think a lot of people respond well to but Mm -hmm. not go too far into it yeah i feel it dude yeah i uh it's funny that you say like some of the stuff that you brought up when um i was starting this thing a couple months ago uh we did this thing where we were talking to some university professors and they were getting it he was like a language guy and he um like a literacy dude and he was asking us what like uh, our favorite stories were. We had to like fill up the sheet. I was talking about like Stephen King and Ray Bradbury and stuff. And he was like, I think you would like this book called Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Mm. And it, when you were talking just now, that's what it sounded like was this book. I haven't read it yet, but it's all about like um, England during I'm the so, Napoleonic Wars yeah. about like magicians and stuff. And it sounds super like Neil Gaiman-y. Yeah, I'm actually that's... really surprised you haven't read that book yet because that, that was a big deal book because that won the uh, Hugo and the Nebula Best Book of mm. the book, Best Book of the Year awards. Like it's like one of those like one of seven books or whatever that won yeah. both of those. And well, uh, I don't have the internet, well, so I can't see what these Hugo things I guess are. I guess I guess that came out when you were like baby? in high school. It was a... when did it come out? 2005 I'll just throw up there around there yeah I would have been in high school Chanel read that um, way way back when I remember reading it I remember like she seemed she was okay on it Um, it's it's very uh, vertigo-ish if that makes sense, if, if, if you're familiar uh, with yeah, Vertigo comics, like when you said Neil yep. Gaiman, it's like a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like Mike Carey, it's, these guys all try to do this sort of like, again, urban fantasy is the word that comes to it. But there's a fine mm-hmm. line of doing it well. Um, there's like that where there's like True Blood, which when they mm-hmm. do it, uh, it comes off as camp. And uh, this is anything but campy. Well, uh, the, the, the best present or the best way that I like that is um, Clive Barker, I think, does that so well. Like with with his books, like that urban fantasy, like a Magica, hits those notes all the time. Where it's just like dirty, shitty England, 
and then it's like, hey, here's some magic and like weird aliens and also some orbs. Check it out. Orbs. <laughs> orbs. Anyways, when you were talking there, it just reminded me of that thing. And I was like, well, you know, why, why not bring it up? Why not bring but, it up? Well, you should, but we're uh, talking about the last wave. Yeah. Well, you should watch, read that book. Uh, I'll try. And see how it is. I think I think you will like that. I think it, it seems up your alley, which is why Buddy suggested thought, it, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, hey, RJ, there's people who what? dislike this film. I imagine I imagined there would be. Uh, yeah. So who hates mm-hmm. The Last Wave? Chronic, one yeah. and a half star. Part of my Criterion Collection films on Netflix list. It is not well acted, especially by the Aborigines. The mystery is only interesting in the beginning. Then it lost me. Wow. Especially the Aborigines. It's it's weird that he's talking about like acting, but one of his five star movies is Eight Mile. <laughs> it's just like, what are you talking about, dude? What are you talking about? He's this guy likes movies like Leon and Enter the Void. Mm, die Hard five stars. That's super original. <laughs> Lots of standard fare. Fight Club, oh. City of God, oh. all of the original Star Wars. Yeah. Drive, your favorite movie. Pumpy, uh, one and a half star. Uh, I was pretty impressed that the climactic apocalypse was loud and bassy enough that you could hear the speakers vibrating behind the forum screen, but otherwise. This movie tries to get by on atmosphere trumping plot, but the atmosphere is mostly just racist cliches, as is the plot for that matter. The stereotypes on display here are much, much creepier than the horror movie trappings. Um, I think Pumpy maybe missed the point of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, like I said, Peter Weir kind of seemed like apprehensive about this film. Yeah, like he felt it weird watching it because he felt like he was made by a different type of director than he is mm-hmm. now. Or I guess when he recorded this interview, mm-hmm. like, God, now sixteen years ago. Um, but like, I didn't, I don't know, I didn't think it was too uh, problematic or anything like that. I, I think it's like the, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. The way I saw it, it was just like, this is what people are really like. Maybe show some awareness of it. Yeah. Where I know, like, even that too. I keep saying it, but it's like that's that sticky area, that fine line where it's like what is showing things and what is too much. But I don't know the way I saw it. It was just like this is what it's like. Maybe people should see. Maybe. Pumpy, though, has some pretty not a lot of five star movies, only like 20. And it's pretty, pretty regular stuff. Uh, But Lemonade, that Beyonce music video album is in there. So. That's going to tell you all you need to know. Yeah. Gabe Leibowitz, one and mm-hmm. a half star. Atmospheric, to be sure, but it's empty atmosphere. The story feels flat and lacks energy, though on the surface, the visuals and music resemble Picnic at Hanging Rock. The last wave has none of the same haunting vibe or <laughs> poetic emotional landscape. The story itself is moderately interesting, but more so in theory than in execution. I suppose some people will find the numbing repetition of shots to be stimulating in a hypnotic sort of way, but I can't imagine ever being one of them. <laughs> oh, so pithy. So funny. Uh, this person is a major chud. <laughs> uh, a lot of their 
uh, worst half star movies are movies that are legitimately good movies, Uh-oh. like Ace Ventura Two: When Nature Calls, <laughs> Come on. which is one of my favorite movies. Uh, your favorite movie, even uh, Joe's Apartment, uh, Blade Two. Yeah, that's right, Blade Two. My Giant with Billy Crystal. Uh, but here's their favorite movies: uh, Come and See, that Russian movie. I feel like that's planted. Um, something called Margaret. Something called Make Way for Tomorrow. But here's the kicker. One of their favorite movies is Call Me By Your Name, which I've mentioned before. You can go check out my review. That movie is very bad. They got a lot of Criterions. They got a lot of five-star things like Woody Allen, Before Sunrise, Playtime, Rush More. It's just all Criterion stuff. That's it. Hmm. So I feel like I feel like those are um, almost actually almost every five star movie is a Criterion. So I feel like they're just they know that Criterion movies, and then they're like, "Oh, that's a five star movie right there." Except for uh, the last wave. Uh, well, except for the last wave, yeah. Everything else in their five stars, they're all Criterions. What's wrong with a film that has like? good atmosphere or nice if it was an empty atmospheric film does that make it a bad film hey Jared did you think that Knights of Kiberia had atmosphere mm, not, that is not the word that springs to mind to describe that film what about Fritz Lang's M uh sure what about Rear Window uh maybe it's been a really long time since I've seen it what about In the Mood for Love I, I will, I'll rediscover that film in a few, couple months. Mm. Okay, well, there's a there's a lot of these movies here where it's all Criterion stuff, and it's like, mm. is not is Night of the Hunter atmospheric, RJ? Uh, <laughs> no, that movie's bad. Oh man, one day that movie's bad. One day we're gonna tackle that bad boy, and the world's well, gonna find out, RJ. It's gonna find I, out about that movie. I hope people realize they're that, all uh, wrong. You're all they're wrong. They're all wrong. <laughs> and we can, you and me can shit all over that thing. And I, for one time, that'll, you will that'll, also, that'll, that'll be a good day on a popular movie. That'll be a and, good day. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, <laughs> the last wave. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's the movie we're talking about tonight. Yeah. yeah. This movie is just like, it fits, it checks a lot of boxes. Uh, we kind of tapped into that. Uh, that kind of mm-hmm. mystery, uh, kind of dark fantasy, but not quite uh, built-in mystery. Peter Weir doing that thing he does, that atmosphere. Checks all those boxes. I like it. Oh, yeah. Uh, movies, uh, Last Wave. And, uh, yeah, boxes. Check them. Done. After the break, I've got a bone to pick with RJ. A bone mm-hmm. that will kill him. You, Jarrett. RJ? 
Uh, huge dick boners. And kangaroos. How do Dirty I know? Dingus, how do I know what? that? I, how am I, how do I know I'm in Australia? There's no kangaroos. Not a Were single, there any koalas? Not a single koala, or a dingo. Was there any eucalyptus? I don't. I don't know. I, what I don't, about shrimp? Uh, I don't know. Not even a Barbie. Hmm. What kind of piece of shit Australian movie is this? I know. Not no Dundee. <sighs> Spoons. You can email us at criterioncreeps at gmail.com and tell us about uh, what else was missing in this Australian mm. movie. We've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnabo. Mm-hmm. We're on YouTube. We've got a Patreon. We're on SoundCloud, mm. Stitcher, mm. iTunes, Google Play, all that stuff. <gasps> Next week, RJ. What? we got a swerve here. We're going <gasps> to do, do a laser disc. Which one? Oh, I don't know. I think we need a little help. From who? Richard Lester. He's going to bring some help from 1965, along with his friends, the Beatles. Who? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's this band you might have heard. The Monkees? Uh, well, one day we will see the Monkees in head. That's like 18 years from now. Um, in the <laughs> meantime, mm-hmm. well, we'll settle for. John, Paul, George, Ringo, the boys. Who? I've never, I've never seen Help, so that'll be exciting. Here's my question, yo. What is music? Define music. Who are the monkeys? Hey, hey. I just looked up Help, and something that came up was in quotes: haze of marijuana. Sounds oh, ominous. Well, it'll be just in time then. Four? Edibles. Ooh. Dirty. Yeah. Well, I've got, I actually have regular old brownies to eat upstairs. I'm going to go do that. They're delicious. Why didn't you bring me any? Because I don't like you. Still, I bring you stuff. Uh, I don't like you. Well, it's because I don't respect you, because you bring me stuff. Oh. Good night. Bring me a brownie, dude. Don't be a don't be um don't bogart those brownies. <laughs>